Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I cannot believe we've made it to 16 episodes. This is going very well. I'm very excited. I know I say that every week, but it's because I'm very excited. You know, if I'm going to trade my time composing music or working on a book of my own for any reason. It's got to be something that I love. And I'm really enjoying putting these episodes together, having some great conversations with some absolutely amazing people. And people, some of these people I know really well, and yet I find I'm learning a lot from them just from the conversations. Because I think we tend to have a quick, hey, I just wanted to know about this, or can you tell me about that, or I found something for you kind of conversations, or just, you know, hey, how you doing, kind of casual things. But we really don't get a chance to get too in-depth with people these days. So it's really nice to be able to to find some time to sit with people and have some really deep conversations where we talk about things where we might not normally talk about, and sometimes we come up with ideas or little challenges or things. So it's uh, a pretty cool thing for me, and I hope that you you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. I'm seeing a lot more likes and a lot more ratings, a lot more subscribers coming along each week. So I must be doing something right. I'm, I'm guessing that you guys are enjoying it. So thank you very much for listening. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to let you guys know that I'm planning on doing a special Saturday episode this week where I will be talking about my Mental Sauna series, more specifically Mental Sauna 3, my Christmas Inflections albums, where I take uh, some classic Christmas songs and uh, perform them in a, a Mental Sauna sort of style. So it's something that you can use to put in the background while you're decorating, while you're just having dinner, having family time, uh, or your family get-togethers. You can use it for yoga, you can use it for sleep, you can use it for relaxation, meditation, whatever you like. Uh, But it's, it's really just kind of designed to be a nice, gentle background for your holidays. Uh, and, uh, and I'll tell you the story about how all that came about and a little bit about why I chose each song and what they mean to me. So it won't be a, a particularly long episode, but, uh, but it'll be something that's uh, a little more insightful about one of my favorite projects that I've done to, to date. And then, uh, probably the weekend after I'll do something on the haunted holidays one. Uh, just depends. I've got a couple of projects that I'm writing, uh, right now. So between that and doing the podcast, time is a little bit tight, but, uh, but I definitely want to share some of those experiences with you because, uh, it's, it's not often I get to talk about the art that I do. It's usually pretty quick. Hey guys, I did this, check it out, you know? Uh, so, uh, I want to get a little more personal, a little more in depth on that stuff too. So check that out. That'll be coming out on Saturday. And for now, we have a very, very cool and wonderful, lovely author on today, Tracy Wooden Carlisle. She and I have known each other for a couple of years and, uh, just finally met in person, uh, this fall. And I really think that there is something to meeting someone in person just at least one time. There's a, a different kind of connection when you've, when you've shook hands or hugged a person and you've kind of felt their energy and really gotten a better sense of what they're all about than what they appear in text form or, or email form. I think even over Skype, uh, which you can get a better sense of a person, but I think even over Skype, I like meeting somebody in person at least once. So when you can do that, I definitely encourage you to do real live human meetups. They're, they're pretty cool. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about her new book, which is called Missing the Gift. 
I've read one of her books uh, that was called My Beauty for Her Ashes. It was a very, very beautiful, touching, sort of uh, lovely but gut-wrenching uh, book at the same time because it was so uh, such a deep story. And I love her writing style. You kind of just identify with the characters right off the bat. Pretty incredible stuff. And uh, very excited to have her on the show today. So this one's a bit long. Uh, normally I try to keep them to an hour or so, and uh, we ended up talking for almost an hour and 45 minutes, and then some of it I, I cut down a little bit because it was a bit redundant for the podcast. But uh, yeah, I, I had such a great time talking to her, I kind of didn't want it to end. So uh, here's Tracy. All right, folks, let's welcome Tracy Wooden Carlisle onto the show. Tracy, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. It's a gorgeous day here in San Diego, so yes, yay, yes. It's uh, <laughs> it's a little chilly, but fairly nice here in Vegas. I uh, I do miss certain things about living in California. I do miss being able to just take a day and work at say Newport Beach, where I can just walk up and down the beach and formulate ideas, and then sit down with my notebook and organize and whatever. Um, but you don't actually get to the beach very often, do you? I don't. I don't know why. I'm only 10 minutes away. It's just there's so much to do in between. So we've got a Balboa Park um, where you can watch movies off of the side of the Botanical Garden wow. and go to the History Museum. I, right. And then we have uh, the whole bay where you can watch. Okay, I'm a movie buff, but you can watch movies off of the mast of some of the ships. Really? So, Yes, yes, and especially when it's, you know, around dusk and, gosh, the stars are about to come out, and it's, it's beautiful. It's really, it's really nice. One of the things that I miss most about my beach days is, is uh, as the sun would go down at the, you know, at the, at the far horizon at the end of the ocean there, uh, it wouldn't just get dark. Like darkness just came and sucked up the entire western portion of the city. <laughs> right. It's the strangest thing, but that was my favorite thing. Like I would walk all day long, and then I would go to uh, at the end of Balboa Pier. There's a little restaurant, and you just get a hot chocolate, and then you stand there at the end of the pier, and there's people fishing, and there's a uh, a seal that comes and tries to take the bait off their hook because he thinks he's smarter yeah. than sometimes he is. Uh, and, and you just like watch this beautiful sunset and then you just feel this darkness just come back at you from the, the edge of that horizon. It's the weirdest thing I've ever experienced, but I recommend it to absolutely everyone to go do that once in your life. I agree. I absolutely agree. Also, fly towards the end of the day so that you can, especially if you're going from east to west, and it's almost already getting dark on the East Coast, I would suggest flying around that time because you see the dark behind you and still the um, horizon and the, the sunset in front of you. Ooh, I could see how that would be fun. Yeah. I, I did a lot of flying as a, as a child and, well, young adult. I still do fly. Not as much, but yeah, when I, when I fly, I, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I, 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 that was my favorite mode of transportation until I decided to slow down just a little bit and started taking the train 
to certain places, and that was like, oh, my goodness. Well, it's going to take maybe an hour longer to get there, but I'm not driving. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the experience of being on a train, I mean, being able to just let go and watch the countryside just kind of roll by at a nice, even pace, and uh, you could really just get lost in that, I would think. Absolutely, and I think it was also a form of escape. Like, when I would fly, it would be because I needed to get someplace pretty quickly, um, but when I take the train, it's it's more like, well, there's going to be pockets where people can't find me. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's really an advantage, though, to a creative, isn't it? Because you, you want to be able to kind of lock yourself away from any potential interruptions so that you can just immerse yourself in whatever you're creating. Absolutely. You got it. Do you, do you have like a workspace at home where no one's allowed to go when you're busy? Um, no, unfortunately. Um, but I'm going to say that I have a extremely cool van (laughs) (laughs) that I can, I can drive anywhere in and because unless it's really, really important, um, it helps with my distraction. I love like going online. Um, and I can get easily distracted with any type of social media. Um, so when I'm trying to put in words or get my words in, um, I have to get offline. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not good with that temptation. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll just, um, go and sit in the van and I will write. And it's wonderful because I'm just like, I'm immersed in that world and there's very little to take me out of it. Yeah, I think that kind of isolation is important. But are you are you working on a laptop with no Wi-Fi and just like Word or, or something on it? That is correct. Okay. So laptop, no Wi-Fi, um, unless I'm on a deadline for something, um, and somewhere in between, I have to check in. So I'll just use my mobile hotspot. But otherwise, that that is off limits. Good for you. I yeah. I, it's something that I've learned recently that if I'm going to be doing any kind of writing session, I need to shut my phone off because it's it's too easy to just pick it up and make sure you know no one needed anything um is everybody okay has anybody got anything on facebook and the next thing i know it's an hour later and i'm getting far behind in where i wanted to be in writing so uh, my my hats off to you for finding a way to really compensate for that knowing that you will get hooked on it and just isolate yourself where you're kind of untouchable right I like to do giveaways. I like to do giveaways on my newsletter. I like to do giveaways on Facebook. So if I do a giveaway, I'm sitting there almost at the computer for at least two hours fielding questions and responses and, you know, and if I want to work, then I do. I have to shut it off because I will be at the end of my day going... Wow, so today's limit was eight words. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and I'm definitely glad that you're using the laptop because when my, uh, when my computer, my main hard drive went down and I had to, to reinstall everything, which I'm far more 
hopefully far more intelligent about doing now because now I have a backup uh, C drive that I just like every month I'll pull the main drive out and I use a drive duplicator to back it up. So if anything happens, I don't have to reinstall everything. I just have to switch that drive out. Um, but when I was doing that, because of all the, the music software and everything I have, it took about three days for me to reinstall everything. And I just opened up a notebook and I started writing a new novel and it took me another two and a half weeks to type all that in because a, I couldn't read half of what I had written, like physically (laughs) wrote with a pencil. It was just gibberish and I'm trying to piece it together and uh, and then while you're while you're typing, then you start coming up with oh I should put this in here and oh I should do that and then you start editing the book before it's even ready for it. So right. do you edit as you go or do you just kind of let everything come out and then you go back and start reading it over or what's what's kind of your process? Um, I stay in my world and hopefully most of the words get on the paper. So <laughs> I. I I type pretty fast. I I have to grudgingly thank my mom for that since she is a well she was a um typing shorthand um an English teacher. Oh good. So yeah, the the goal was for her girls to hit 65 words per minute and um I guess we would have gotten a treat if we got if we got to her 95 words a minute, but you know, 65 was good enough for me. So. Right. And w- was this on like an old, like an IBM Selectric style typewriter or was this on like a computer keyboard? <laughs> this was on a manual. Yeah, that's a lot different. That's that's <laughs> way harder typing than it is to do on a computer keyboard. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, when they came out with the IBM elect- electronic typewriters, I was like, whoa! Mm-hmm. Times yeah. they are a changing. Yes. Yeah, and then and then that was right around. Was that right before word processors became the next thing, like the individual word processing units? Yes. Yes. That's and that's exactly what I asked for for Christmas when I turned seventeen. But I got a fur coat instead. <laughs> I was like, "What am I supposed to do with this?" <laughs> so. Right on the inside of it. <laughs> Poor, poor animal who gave its life, but yeah, there yeah. will be a story behind this, thanks, right? Thanks for not listening, Mom. You think, you think of all the people that would listen to that particular request would be the person who has typing demands on you would then go, right. oh, yeah, well, that, that makes sense. Let's get her a word processor. Yeah, huh. I, don't, I don't know. It just didn't work there. But, no, I don't usually edit. If I edit my work, that means that I've been, um, I've been not writing for a moment. So, like, if I edit my work, that means that I'm coming back to something after a month, maybe, of not writing, and I'm reading through it to get back in touch with the story. Right, because you you got to get that momentum back. You got to get back inside of it to be able to continue it. Exactly, exactly. So no, I don't. I don't edit, and and my editors truly love me for that. <laughs> Not, but um, <laughs> <laughs> because I I tend to miss really important words. 
like that one word in a sentence that totally changes the sentence. And so my editor's like, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure what you were trying to say here. And I was like, oh, yeah, that that T-O word that I missed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one right there. Yeah, Yeah. right in that spot, (laughs) you know, it'll light up the rest of the sentence. But Mm -hmm. when, when when it's gone, people are going, yeah, you were... You were on a roll here. I was in the story, and you dropped me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so, yeah. all it takes to lose a reader. It, it really is that simple. And I, I always equate it to uh, my movie-going experiences. So if I'm in the theater, and all of a sudden I realize I'm in a theater, and I've really been immersed in the story, but now I can see that there's an edge to the, the screen um, I, I'm aware of my presence in a room and that there's other people around me. They've lost me at that point. Now, yeah. that may be intentional. That may be a spot where they want to kind of give you a little break to rest up for whatever's coming next or, or to build momentum now for the, the uh, crux of the movie. But I, I find the same thing as I'm reading, that if the story kind of just gets off track or it's lost its momentum, I realize I'm sitting on my couch reading a book. And that's not usually good. No, no, it's not because I got it. I started the book to get off of my couch. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now we right. we talked about this, and I, I want to get to your to your new book um, because obviously that's that's one of the main things that we want to talk about today. But you and I had this lovely little conversation before we started recording that I want to touch a little bit of base on because you're, you're really, your label is that you are a Christian fiction writer. And you, I mean, obviously you have the, the experience and the scope to do things outside of that, but that's what you enjoy doing the most. Those are the stories that you like to tell. But when you go and see these movies that are shown on the side of a boat, which I just love that, I, that concept is phenomenal to me. Um, you don't like there's there's really kind of movies that you stay away from you're not big on horror or thrillers as much but do you really kind of watch do you go for the more romantic movies do you go for the like the hallmark type stuff what what do you like to see oh boy um so i'm a romantic at heart um almost anything with romance in it i will um read or watch but i know that there was definitely a Hmm, goodness, like a 12-year a span where I pretty much watched, like, just Disney movies and children's movies um, because I got, I got burnt out. It was just um, the early 2000s, late, late 90s, and I wasn't really into any other type of movie, um, um, the Pirates of the Caribbean had just come out, and that was that was decent. Still done by, you know, by Disney. Right. A little bit on the edgier side, but it it wasn't like nine and a half weeks or. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. There's a big difference between like Fifty Shades of Grey and Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> not even close. No, not at all. But I mean, even somewhere in the middle, it was just. I think it was also. 
some of the language. Um, they've finally gotten to the point where the censors weren't, like, they weren't censoring as much language, and it was just, everybody was feeling free to use all of the words. And I was just like, oh, well, that's nice, you know, if you're really in the moment, really feeling it, but, you know, like, John... Where are my effing socks? I'm I'm thinking you you could have used another word. Right. <laughs> it's almost like they they want to throw in a certain number just because they think that that will if the audience knows that there's at least X amount of this kind of content, then they'll give a PG-13 rated movie a chance. Versus, no, I'd really rather go see something R because I know it's going to be a little more realistic or a little more kind of what I'm looking for. And I think that those lines tend to get blurred really for more marketing purposes than probably anything else. Right. I I agree. Like, um, okay, so I'm going to say Jurassic Park at that time, um, I enjoyed the movie. I was in my 20s, I believe. Um, but, you know, it was PG-13. And I was like, oh, my goodness. If I was 13, this would have freaked me out. I couldn't have watched <laughs> right. this movie. Yeah. I couldn't have seen this movie, you know, and that that bothered me a little. I think I even tried to see me, myself, and Irene. I don't think that I really, like, looked at the trailer <laughs> <laughs> or, or read about it enough yeah. before I walked into the theater. And um, it was... I was extremely sensitive at that moment because we had had like an all night prayer session the night before. So oh. like, yeah, so soulfully, like, like my soul, my emotions, everything was just wide open. And I go in and they're like, Hey, we're going to go see a movie tomorrow. And I was like, Oh, Hey, okay, no problem. You know? And we, we got to maybe one third, we got through one third and we were just like, Oh, right. We just, we just had to walk out. <laughs> Because I just, yeah, and, and was that I followed up by like a, a subsequent impromptu prayer session to kind of cleanse yourself from what you just experienced? <laughs> yes, pretty much. Yeah, just just went home and went home and went back to prayers. Just like, oh Lord, please, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, I I mean, I'm not. I I don't really go one way or another. I really don't like excessive anything in a movie. I don't like excessive violence. I don't like. I mean, if it fits the story, if it makes sense, that's one thing, and I'm okay with it. But it seems like a lot of things are done very gratuitously. They, they're really unnecessary, but they're done to you know get the movie to a point where they think people are going to go see it. Um, but if right. there was one movie that that could have had an excessive amount of swearing in it that I would have not thought twice about, it would have been Jurassic Park, because. You know, when you're being chased by a T-Rex or, you know, a raptor or something, like, it kind of, like, I, I think but, that you have a full license to say whatever's going to pop into your head. Pretty much. Pretty much. And I'm pretty sure at that time, for me, it would have been, oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, but, it, but, if it, but that's just it. Like, if it's within the context of that moment, that's one thing. But I think that a lot of times, that, like, I know that, that a lot of uh, directors will do a certain amount of things specifically because they want an R rating on their movie because they know that their target audience is not going to go see it as, as much if it's a PG-13 versus an R or an NC-17 even. Uh, so they want to get it up to that level, and they'll fight for it. They'll add scenes in. They'll put in a higher curse count. Um, they'll maybe throw in a little bit more nudity or whatever they need to do to get it to that level so that they can sell it as an R rating. 
So I, I understand kind of why the rating system is what it is, because someone like you, if you saw the movie was R-rated, you would have been less inclined to go because you know you're probably not going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, that's true. And I'm a little less sensitive these days um, because my husband loves thriller and horror. Like, he's actually binge-watching Penny Dreadful um, probably right now as we speak because... <laughs> um, no, because he knows that I'm not going to sit there and watch it with him. So right. he that's... He he finds all of the um, the movies that you know, <laughs> that he can watch while I'm away. <laughs> <laughs> so it's strategic timing for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I find that interesting when people uh, are in a relationship where they're so polar opposite on certain things like that, and that's you know the entertainment that you watch certainly is something that that really can affect the relationship. So obviously there's things that, that he'll watch without you and you'll probably watch without him. Um, but are there, are there things, are there plenty of things that you find that you can do together that work for both of you? Um, yeah, we, let's see. So, <laughs> um, one of, I know, I know this sounds weird, but, um, my youth elder, um, got me into Game of Thrones. <laughs> I've yet to see it, but I've heard it because I don't have HBO. But I've heard it's absolutely phenomenal. But it, isn't that like really it, bloody and, and gory? That doesn't oh sound like God. something you would do. I know, I know. That is like my my ultimate guilty pleasure. Um, I don't know. You know, in the very beginning, um, the first say three episodes, I could have left it. Okay. I could have said, oh, I'll, I can take it or leave it. I'm, you know, this is, oof, gosh. Um, but I think somewhere around that third episode, it was kind of like, okay, let me see what's going to happen next. And the fact that I didn't get into it until, like, the sixth season, um, then I was able to binge watch, but I think after the, if I'd come in in the first season and then it took a year for the next season to come, I could have forgotten about it. Yeah. And, you know, and not picked it back up, but because like, we took like a, like a weekend and a week <laughs> basically <laughs> right. to, yeah. to, to binge watch it, you know, um, I was like, oh wow. And, you know, so after a while, you're just you have immersed yourself in this world. So it, when it was over for that last season, then it was, let's find something that's kind of like that, you know? Um, Is there anything that's kind of like that? That seems to be kind of its own world. Yes, it is. It, it is its own world. Um, there's on Netflix, um, the Last Kingdom, and that was pretty. That was pretty decent. Um, Viking era, um, and like old worlds, like when they called London Londinium and things like that. So wow, that's going back um, a few days. <laughs> yes, yes, just a few. Well, let me recommend a show, a little show to you called Dexter. It's a family show. No, I'm just kidding. It's no. <laughs> 
yeah, I, I really, I'm really surprised that, that you would start watching Game of Thrones just from what I've heard of it. It wouldn't be something that I would have said, you know what, I bet Tracy would like this show. I should recommend it to her. That would have never crossed my mind. Uh, do you now when now I've only read one of your books so far and, and I absolutely loved it and we're going to talk about that a bit later but do you find it difficult to write the scenes that kind of carry the book along because sometimes you have to have a little bit of violence in it to tell your story or you know it, you can't like everything can't be in this little little glass bubble do you find it hard to write those kind of scenes um okay I you know I probably need a therapist. You'll probably think I'll need a, I need a therapist because oh dear. Um, <laughs> those are the, those are some of the easiest. And I don't know whether when I get to that point I'm ready to go dark like that, um, or if it really is just something that's already in me that. I need to exercise, but um, I never have a problem going dark. Um, and sometimes I think that the lighter areas areas are a little bit harder. Um, the going, the you know, the in between when when you're not even when you're setting up the suspense, but when you know it's been revealed and then the couple gets together and they're doing not mundane things, but, you know, things that kind of show the reader that they're serious um, and are, you know, just sitting down watching television, finding different things that they, that they have in common when they go out. And so those things actually are, are harder for me. I, I'm like, yeah, they went to the movies. <laughs> that was fun. Okay. <laughs> right. See, they like, like each other. <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe it's because you don't write that much that's dark overall. Like, you're not a, a horror novelist or anything. So maybe it's because you don't use that tool a whole lot that when you do pull it out and you're, you're starting to work with it, you're like, okay, I'm ready to build something here. It's time. I'm good because you're not, but you're not writing that level of emotion where you are the majority of the rest of the book. And writing emotion, that can really be draining. Yes, yes, it can. But those, I mean, the very heightened um, emotional parts of my book, I those were the parts that just flowed. And yes, of course, I probably like slept really well that night. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, but just. In that moment, um, just expressing the the angst, the pain, the um, and what they were ready to inflict upon someone else, um, that was that was also that was always something that kept me going forward in the book. Like I, it was almost like a benchmark. It was like, okay, we're gonna write to here. This is where we're getting to, so let's go ahead, let's do the dialogue and do whatever we need to do to get to this moment right here, right. you know. Yeah. Uh, um, but I think that also, I mean, I don't, like I said, I'm not great with horror, but I do love suspense. So, like, <laughs> even though he's not revered as, revered as one of the best suspense directors or producers. Um, I like M. Night Shyamalan. 
Um, and I liked the fact that he could build suspense in the... I mean, nothing was really happening, but, you know, you could build suspense so much that by the time something happened, it was like... <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, and he Because he's not showing you something constantly... When it does, when he does show you something, it, it's going to have a much bigger impact as, as opposed to a movie like, say, you know, Saw or or something where it's it's almost constant brutality. You it wears thin right. on you, and by the time you see the third or fourth thing, you're like, eh, I get it. Oh, that's clever, but you don't you don't feel invested in it anymore because it's there's no there's it doesn't breathe. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Uh-oh. I you know I really liked. I remember uh, seeing the Sixth Sense at the theater. And I, I had never seen anything by him before. I didn't even know who he was. And I really liked the movie. And then after it ended and I put some thought into it and kind of went over the story in my head, uh, by the time the DVD came out, I watched it again. I'm like, okay, I get what you're trying to do. But now that I know the reality of this story, I'm not buying this. I don't think you sold that well. And then I started picking it apart. And now I don't even like it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You never should have bought the DVD. I shouldn't have. I really, I should have just said I watched it, it was good, and let it go, but I can't do that. It's just, I have to go back and look at things, and after, if, I've, if it's something I've spent a good deal of time analyzing, I want to make sure that my brain's going in the right direction, and now I just call shenanigans on it. But it was a good movie at the time, for what it's worth. I understand. I absolutely understand what you're saying, and I worked for Disneyland. So I got to see all the behind the scenes and some of that Disneyland magic. <laughs> yeah. It's not so magical. It's not so magical. <laughs> oh, sure. What did you do at Disney? Um, I was a dark ride operator, which meant I worked in Fantasyland, um, Peter Pan's Adventurous Ride, or Mr. Yeah, Mr. Toad's Adventurous Ride, and then... Um, Peter Pan, Casey Jr., I drove the train. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun for the, the two years I was there. But um, I was a prop, basically. Oh, anytime okay. you're dressed, yeah, well, I mean, anytime you're dressed in a, a hmm, um, a dick, well, costume, basically. So, with, Fantasy land. I was a Swiss, <laughs> a Swiss miss. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite cocoa. <laughs> Which is really funny because that's that's the color I am. So, um, but they they would walk all over you. So just trying to get from one station to another, it was like building a path through people who were just like, ooh, ah, and look, it's a Swiss miss. Can we take a picture? Or they wouldn't see you at all. And, you know, they'd be stepping on your toes and things like that. And you're just like, okay, that's nice. That's nice. Okay, I got to get to, I got to get to the next station. (laughs) So, you know, fun times. Yeah, there's there's nothing like a, a Swiss Miss just charging across Disney to to get from one spot to another with like a I'm not talking to anybody look on her face and yeah it's, right. it's that that I mean I'm sure you've got tons of stories but I I the closest I've come to experiencing anything like that was 
uh, back in the days of Shoney's Restaurant, which was, you know, just like a family-style restaurant. And um, I used to go there in the morning when I was in school, and I would do my homework there, and I would drink, you know, cups and cups and cups or pots of coffee. And one day, it was on a Sunday, and they said, hey, Scott, do you want a free breakfast bar? And I said, well, sure. And they said, okay, put the Shoney Bear costume on. And just go outside and wave to cars for like 10 or 15 minutes and then come in and give out suckers to all the kids that are seated. And then, you know, then you can have your breakfast bar. And I'm like, well, I was a poor person at the time. I didn't have a lot of money. So, well, I'm not going to pass up a breakfast bar. So, of course, it was a blizzard outside. And I don't even know if anyone can see me, but I'm waving to these cars anyway, you know, a honk here or there, but not a lot of attention because they probably couldn't even see me. And then, uh, but the head was so big that I'm actually looking out the nostril hole of the, oh, of no. the head. And so, so I finally, I get back in, I slowly make my way around the restaurant because I'm, I'm you know, weaving between people and kids and wait staff and all that. Um, and then I, I go in the bathroom, I get out of the costume, I put the costume away. And then by then they had torn the breakfast bar down and, and I didn't get it. And I thought, wow. well, that sucked, you know, but it was, it was right. like, it, like to think about doing that. Cause I, I was in the costume probably a total of maybe 40, 45 minutes. I can't imagine walking around all day, especially outside in a costume like that and just having constant, you know, kids come up to you and, and pictures when you're trying to work like that, that really must've after a while, did it wear on you a little bit? Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm not. I wasn't in one of like the the big costumes, and um, those that wore like you know Jungle Books, Baloo the Bear, things like that, um, they would only do 20 minute stints. Oh, and so yeah, because so you're you're in it for 20 minutes, you go to the back because they would do little small parades. Um, you would go to the back, and then you would come back out like after 10 minutes. And you'd walk around for another 20 minutes, and then you'd go back. Um, and the, actually, the longest stint was during the long parade, where they had everyone go through Main Street, you know? Oh, yeah. So, so you know, they treated the ones in the heavier costumes the best, because you definitely don't want to see anybody passing out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, mommy, mommy, the love dad. <laughs> for, for those of you uh, listening who have never been to Disneyland, I, I've only been there once, and the one piece of advice I can give you is do not try to leave the park when that parade is going on. Wait it out. Right. Just sit down, park yourself until it's over. They make a path that goes through all the stores that line that street, but it's forever trying to get through. And it gets very frustrating because there's, you know, several people will be trying to leave at the same time. Then there's people shopping, people trying to see the parade in between the shops. It's just a nightmare. So just park yourself somewhere, wait until the parade's over, and then exit. It'll be a much happier experience for you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So now we've been talking for a while, and we haven't even talked about your new book yet. So I want to do that now. The book is called Missing the Gift, and this is part of a series. Now, you have a couple of different series going on. Which series is this? Uh, this is the Chandler County series, and um, it's a series with a group of authors, 
um, so it's a multi-author branded series. So most of mine are, well, of course, all of mine are sweet, um, and they're Christian, um, but there are also authors that write um, steamy um, Chandler County books, and so Chandler County is just a fictitious town uh, between Lexington and um, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so lots of horses, um, little small main street, and um, gosh, people with a lot of problems. <laughs> because, well, what else are you going to do down there? Right, right. Because it, it is it is a romantic suspense series, and so that is those are the two things that um, connect all of the stories. They're in Chandler County, and it they all um, surround some type of romantic suspense theme. So how, how, now being that you have such a variety of style within that series, because you've got different authors writing vastly different styles, how, how do you think that plays to the reader to go from someone who reads, say, a, a Christian-based book to a steamy romance book? Is it, is it really the same audience? Um, no. No, it is not. Um, so we do have a Facebook page for the Chandler County, and... The way that we draw people in is like a small town, and um, we write, some of our stories are around the Kentucky Derby, and others are around the town's anniversary, which is in like November. <clears throat> so people who love horses, love K the Kentucky Derby, and things like that, that's what draws them. But we do have a sweet and steamy um we, we divided them into those two groups. And so for people who like it on the sweeter side, um, we're like, these are the authors that you want to pay attention to. But if you're ever feeling like having something a little bit more steamy, these are the authors that, you know, you might like to try. They're not in any particular order, um, but each author within themselves can say, hey, this is my first book in this series, and this is my second, and so on. Um, mostly the sweet authors promote the sweet authors. Right, <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the sassy and steamy um, promote theirs. Um, but we do come together with different promotions for, say, Valentine's Day, and we do have, like, a drip campaign. So if you like the sweeter side, then, you know, if you join the newsletter, then you're offered free books on the sweet side. Okay. And the same for the steamy side. But there's still Chandler County, and the sometimes the characters and definitely the businesses um, are found in all of the different books. Okay, so uh, I mean, obviously there would be some crossover, I would think. But so if if I read the sweet books, if that's kind of my forte, am I missing anything in the overall story by not reading the steamy books, or is is every book kind of really individual and they just all take place in the same town, but the stories aren't necessarily really integral to read them all? Um, that is correct. You do not have to read them all. Um, a lot of them are standalone. And, um, yeah, so it's really just the town 
that is the um, the connecting theme and you know some of the different events that that happen. But if you don't read the steamy ones, um, you're not going to be missing anything. I know that some of the steamy books have the Bluegrass Security Company and some of their people in there, and um, I use um, Bluegrass Security Company in my books as well, just because you need somebody to be able to stop stalkers. And <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to keep your your light side world clean, so that the you know the the CD underbelly can stay in the CD underbelly, right? Right. Right there, you go. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I I love the idea of creating a whole world that has so many different facets. And if you enjoy that part of the country, you enjoy that way that those stories are told. That you have so much you can choose from because it's not just one author. You know, it's it's not Greg Isles doing everything in Natchez, Mississippi. It's it's all these things that you can experience in that. I think that's a really great idea. Yeah, I have fun, and I've I've met you know um, a few different authors that I I'm pretty sure I, I wouldn't have met otherwise, and it's just nice to collaborate. And since um, at the time of its inception, I was the one that had the graphic experience, I got to put the map together, and so that that was fun. And so that made it at least even more real to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so it's like, yeah. So that that has been fun, and that that actually helped me um, with my lag in my writing in 2016. Now, are you are you have you lived in that area, or do you have family there? What's what's your connection to that? I mean, I know it's a fictitious town, but you know that that general part of the country is that something that you've got experience with? <laughs> I like horses. Oh well, there you go. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about it. I've never been to Kentucky. Um, I have like no family anywhere near Kentucky. Um, I've, I, you know, of course I'd heard of the Kentucky Derby, but I never knew how much how many events surrounded the Kentucky Derby and just how huge it was until I started writing because I had to do, you know, quite a bit of research. But um, I found a few people or a few readers um, that chimed in quite a bit. And so I, you know, sought them out and was like, hey, I have a couple of questions. And they were more than happy to answer and, and tell me, you know, what was hat day and what what kind of different events happened before and after and I was just like, wow. Well, I think it it started with the Kentucky Derby, and then, of course, we can't let anything just be one thing. We can't just let people walk into an event like that. Now you've got to have build-ups for everything. And obviously, you know, the hats have been a big part of the tradition uh, and and, uh, almost more important than the horses themselves to some people. 
But it's exactly it, it's like you know we're recording this on Sunday, December second, and and it, so I just got I'm still getting Black Friday ads today. It's like nothing can just be a standalone thing. You can't just have your one day or your one derby. You've got to it, it's got to turn into a whole festival. So you've got all your events yeah. and your dinners and your promotion and your award ceremonies and all the history that leads up to the big event. And then after that, you've got to have your closing and post ceremonies events. Um, it's nothing is singular anymore. Well, no, because then how do you make extra money? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and now what about language wise? Because that's a different dialect down there, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Um, and one good way to get around that is to have transplants. Aha. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, most of my main characters are transplants, um, but I do have a couple of um, cowboys. Always got to have a cowboy. Um, <clears throat> and even they, like, there were, the first one, the main character's name was Zach, and he grew up there, but moved out, like, got out. Um, he didn't have the greatest childhood. Um, but was able to get out of the, the area um, and move to New York and pretty much started a whole nother life for himself. And when that ended for him, he came back pretty much a broken man. And so um, I have not mastered the whole dialects thing for different different parts of the country. Uh, I've, I've also not mastered the urban slang dialect. Um, oh. Yeah. I, I, oh, I, oh. <laughs> and it's only, and I do that only because my parents were, my parents were sticklers. Like my father came from like an elitist family in the way that they were kind of surrounded by elitist families, not right. because they wanted to be, it was just that social structure. And my mom, um, she's like, we've worked so hard to get to where we are, you are not going to use dough for a door. You're going to pronounce it properly, you're dough. Um, and so, gosh. And you are very well spoken, I'll say that, but I, I get it because... When I was growing up in Detroit, of course, the language and the, the dialect was a little bit different than it was when I moved to Colorado Springs. Uh, it was a real adjustment for me to learn how to speak the way people spoke there because it was not at all the, the not even close to the same thing. So if you're not exposed to it, of course, you're not going to be able to flow with that unless you really find a way to expose yourself, whether it be through watching a lot of movies or going to places like that or meeting people that speak in that way, uh, it's really not going to be something easy to just immerse yourself into. No, but now that we're talking, I think that would be a nice challenge. <laughs> I think yeah. that would actually be kind of fun. Um, I went to parochial school. I, uh, I went to a <laughs> private I went to a private Lutheran school, so and I and I disliked it. Um, I think I was in junior high when I told my dad, "Look, if I have to come back here next year, I'm going to ditch." 
My grades are going to go down, and neither of us are going to be happy. So can you please just put me in public school? And so um, he found, they found a public school, um, and I, I loved it. The, the children are very intellectual, though. Now, what, so, what grade would this be at in your life? This was the seventh grade. Okay, so pretty early. Yeah, yeah. It was, well, yeah, it seemed like it had taken a lifetime to get there. <laughs> I don't doubt that. But, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, that was, I didn't have any, I didn't have too many friends. It was because so many people were, were superficial. It was very hard to fit in. It, uh, my parents did not follow the trends. They're like, you're going to put on, you know, what we buy you, and it's going to be sturdy, and it's going to last. So, you figure it out. You figure out how to work with it. Um, I had no sense of fashion whatsoever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, because it, were were you wearing uniforms at the Lutheran school? No, no, and that was the problem. I think if we had. Um, I think if we had uniform, it would have been so much better because then I wouldn't have had to try and keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. To say, um, cause at that time it was guest jeans and East Brits and which was basically Oshkosh for junior high students. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. At least it wasn't so, jellies and, you know, because you step on a rock and you're pretty much just done for the day. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But, you know, my parents are like, look, we, you know, we, we work for a living and we, though we get, though we get paid well, um, we're not going to buy you a pair of jeans that you wear for like three months and then put in the back of your closet. Do you, do you appreciate that more now as an adult looking back? Do you, are you, are you kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of glad you did that. Or do you still have that? But mom, you know, the kids are all wearing and, and I had to suffer through that. Oh gosh. Um, I'm glad they didn't back down. I'm really happy that, you know, they stuck by their guns. They taught me a great deal of, um, where to find my value, but at the time, I'm really going to have to say that it was it was horrific. Yeah, and I still I still think of that. Um, I know that some of it built character. It also gave me you know some material for books. But well, I mean, at this point in your life, you're like just coming into being a teenager around around seventh grade, and so the the social pressures grew quite a bit at that point. It was like we stepped into another level. And now you coming from a school that was very um, segregated and then coming into public school, like that was a really tough time to pick to do it because you weren't really prepared to know how to deal with that sort of, uh, those kind of classmates and that mentality. Well, the, the segregated school was horrible. It was, it was awful. I hated it. The public school, the kids were a lot more forgiving. And I actually started. I actually started making friends at that point. But the the parochial school, they were just they were extremely materialistic. And if you you know didn't 
fit into a certain mold because there were so few of us, then, you know, you were like one of three people out. Whereas in the public school, if you didn't fit into one of the 20 different molds, then you were one of 100 people out. You know, right. So, you had your own group of sort of like the Isle of Misfit toys where you can all work together and that is the group that you belong to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will cheer for them every single time. <laughs> how, how would you say so. that that has affected your writing? I mean, do you develop characters that that you look back on and you find, you know, that was kind of kind of like what I went through or I, I you, you are really good at telling the underdog story because of those experiences? Um, well, I, I've been playing with a, a book for a while, and it it is actually the backstory of one of the secondary characters in My Beauty for Your Ashes, um, Domini. And um, it's basically his backstory, and it does start in junior high where he's being bullied. And so I was like, yeah... Domini has always been that, like, very down-to-earth and funny and gritty kind of um, character for me. And I just, I see, like, how being bullied and being um, ostracized might have caused him to develop into the type of person that was like, look, no excuses, but at the same time, you know, this world isn't as pretty as you think it is, you know. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, when you can use humor, that really kind of subdues a lot of situations. I think that's kind of what I did uh, as I was growing up. But I, I thank you for the segue because I wanted to talk about My Beauty for Your Ashes. That, that is the book of yours that I have read. And as I tell all my author guests, I would love to read everything that you've written, um, but that would mean I'm not creating my own things. And as you know, I, I'm sure that you understand that. Uh, yeah. I, I love the book and I love the fact that right off the bat you're, you're thrusting the characters into a very intense situation someone has just died as a reader you don't know who it is you don't know who or how they're related to the characters that you're hearing from yet but it really starts off with a very intense probably one of the most intense openings I've ever read in a book and even though I don't read now as a child I read hundreds of them uh, but I've not found someone that really just starts you off the way that you did. It's like really intense and really sorrowful. It's pulling at your gut at the same time, pulling at your curiosity. And was that the intent? Did you want to start the book off with such like an explosive kick or did that just kind of be, I think I'll start it here. Um, well, the first sentence is it all started with one lone tear. And that sentence had been rolling around in my head for a couple of months before I actually, like, put it to paper with any intent of following following it up with any type of story, whether it be short or long. Um, and I'm like, okay, so somebody's obviously crying here. Um, why? Why are they crying? And... Obviously, I had some deep feelings for the, this first character, um, the main character, but I saw her coming to an end in some way. Um, so it's like you start a 
you start a story at the end of the story, what were you talking about? Um, right. I think that, right, I think that I really wanted her to start after she closed the door or trying to close a door. I didn't want to experience her before that point. I kind of felt like she had come to a place in her life where she was mature enough to deal with what was going to be coming up next. And um, what's more mature than being able to uh, perform a, a eulogy for someone who had hurt you and was kind of like the author of a lot of the trauma in your life. Yeah, and I, I was having a hard time going back and forth between is this, like, because you don't have any backstory. I don't even know anything about this person. I don't have a reason to feel anything for them because I'm not even on their journey yet. But at the same time, you put me in a position where I had to be on their journey without knowing anything about them, which was really interesting because I didn't know why I was caring about this person and what they were going through. It could have just been something I was observing or it could have been, you know, on page 20, it could have been a dream sequence for all I knew. Or maybe you were, and I actually thought at one point, well, is she like Tarantinoing this thing? Is she giving us the ending of the story? And then she's going to go back and tell us how it happened? Because it's, I've, I've, like I said, I've never seen anything start off quite that way. So it's very, right off the bat, you're just like, I'm interested in what's going on here. I, you can't not be. I appreciate that. I And, you know, I did not do that on purpose. I, I learned probably two years later that it was best to get to get to your readers right off the bat. You know, they're like, you know, if you if you don't get your readers' attention within the first, say, two paragraphs or, you know, first page, if they're being generous, then, you know, you've lost them. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And I, I went back and I read it and I was like, Huh. Well, maybe. <laughs> right, but, but you know, and that's the thing because not every book can start off with and she woke up in a pool of blood. You know, you have to, you know, I I get that you want to grip the readers and you want to make them turn at least the first few pages until you can start actually telling the story. But at the same point, like not everything can start off with a shock. And not right. everything should start off with an intense situation like sometimes I just want to get to know somebody. Now, I, I remember when I read A Bag of Bones by Stephen King, uh, I was stuck in an airport because it was a holiday weekend and I thought the airport was going to be crazy busy. So I left a couple of hours early and I get to the airport and there's nothing going on. And I thought, <laughs> oh, well, better safe than sorry. And I had my book and I just started reading Bag of Bones. And I, there were so many times that if I hadn't been stuck at the airport, I would have stopped reading it because it wasn't until about... 95 to 100 pages somewhere at that mark where it really started to get interesting to me and I'm not saying it's a bad book because everybody's going to be different but for me that's where it started getting interesting and had I been home and just picked that book up to start reading it I don't know that I would have ever continued past page 30 or 40 but I, I hate the idea that you have to grip people in the first two pages because that doesn't really give you a lot of room for momentum or connection that that is true. I I usually give my um, my books, my authors, some leadway. Um, I'll usually try and see if it catches me on the fifth page, 
<laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, there, there has to be something. Otherwise, it's just painful. And why read and be in pain? It's supposed to be for pleasure. Right. But I think, too, if it's, it, 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 it's the difference between whether you're familiar with an author or not, right? So if it's the first book I've ever read from you, I don't know who you are. Let's say I didn't know you personally. I just was at Barnes & Noble. I saw you. Your cover was interesting. I flipped the book over. I read the little bit at the, on the back and go, yeah, this, this is a story I'd be curious to read. And I purchase the book and I come home. Okay, page one. Yeah, page two. Okay, page three. I wonder where this is going. You know, if it's somebody I don't know... I'll give them a little bit more leeway because I don't know their style. And I'll hope that there's something in here somewhere. Because at the end of the day, they still got into Barnes & Noble. Whereas right. if it's somebody I do know, and let's say you're the kind of author that doesn't really get the interesting part of the story going until page 10 because you're a backstory writer. You really like to let people know the world they're in before you unleash the beast on them. Then I mm -hmm. know kind of your style and I know how much latitude to give you. And I've obviously liked what I've read from you before, so I'm reading more of your stuff. I'm willing to see where you're going. But as a new author, I think that's where that really comes in. And you don't know what the first book of yours is that somebody's going to read. That is true. That is true. And you're, you are only reminding me that my series tend to start with books where... Either they're in a, they're in the midst of a panic attack, <laughs> <laughs> or or they're or they're found close to death on their kitchen floor. Which is, um, I yeah. So no, I don't think that I give a lot of flashback stories. No, it doesn't sound I, like it. Yeah, I, I always I always use the example of you know some some books I've read by Stephen King and and I love Stephen King's brain. Uh, I think he comes up with some incredibly ingenious ideas for stories. I don't want to say I'm bitter over the twenty plus years it took for the Dark Tower series to come out because that was one I was very enthralled with. But when it takes you know ten or twelve pages for somebody to turn a doorknob because they're remembering a doorknob that they turned when they were seven. And then you got to tell that whole story. Like there, there comes a point where it's, it's, there's a difference between telling a story and making it interesting and, and, you know, getting to care about the characters versus just telling so many side stories that you're, you're just not letting the reader go along the main storyline enough. And I find with him, at least for me personally, on several of the books of his that I've read, I kind of feel like he just goes too, into too many tangents that take away from it. So it's definitely a balance, and for every reader, it's going to be different. But I, I love his ideas, but sometimes that journey can be a little long. I understand. I've had readers, especially for My Beauty for Your Ashes, which is not a short book. No. Um, um, I've, I've had readers who have said, oh, my gosh, I got immersed in this, and I fell in love with the characters, and I wanted more and more. And then I... I had readers who were like, all right, already, I understand. <laughs> you, you, you told me in chapter four, you know, so what? Right. Yeah. Really? And I was like, oh, well, hey, you know, that, then you're probably not going to be the one who um, jumps up and down when this series is over. You, you'll probably 
give up like after one. Right. It's almost like you want to put like a little link in the Kindle version that says, if you're not interested in the side story, press this button and I'll take you past it so that you don't have to be annoyed. But for those that really care about this character, you're more than welcome to read on this section. You know, right now, so choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Now, are oh. you are you doing a uh, a print version of this new book, or are you, is it just Kindle only? I will be doing a print version of this book of this new book, um, and that will be close to Christmas. Um, simply because I have a lot of readers who don't like to read on their phone or electronically. Um, now, I do have a lot more readers that read on their Kindle, so yay! Um, and my readership has grown over the past year, um, and they they do. They're like, Kindle, Kindle, or, you know, e-reader, Barnes & Noble, give them yeah. to me. Um, yeah. Right. But I do have a lot of people, especially like from my church or friends, that are like, hey, so um, I heard you came out with that book. When's the paperback coming out? And I'm like, yeah, okay, so I need to sell 50 more books, and then I will get that paperback to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, and it's, I, I, was, I was saying last week on the podcast, I had uh, Jeff Marriott on, who's more of a horror thriller novelist, so kind of the yin-yang to you. Uh, he, we were talking about that and, you know, we're, we're old school. We, we love the feeling of the book. We love the smell of the paper, the satisfaction of turning a page. It's, it's more fun to look ahead and see how many pages it is because you don't have to bookmark it and then look how many pages ahead that chapter is and then go back to your bookmark. You can just put your finger in there and flip ahead really quick. Uh, there's, there's things I love about having a physical book, but then there's that environmental side of me that, that really cares about my carbon footprint and goes, we should not be doing this at all, but I also <laughs> want to curl up on the couch with a good book sometimes, you know, right. uh, I, I love that we have the ability to reach people instantly. If I buy something on Kindle, I have it on my, my Kindle reader in seconds. Uh, and I yeah. can just start reading. And if I if I want to look something up and I find another reference book, I can download that really quick. I love, love, love that side of it. And I love that you can just click on that book at the end and you can put in your reviews and your star ratings to help the authors, which again, everybody listening, please do that every chance you get. First, anybody that you have spent time experiencing their art, whether you like it or not. Um, but I, I love that it's all kind of like an all-in-one inclusive immediate package. But every once in a yeah. while, I still want to curl up on the couch with a book. Um, when I when I take plane trips, um, my little guilty pleasure is going because, of course, the books in any airport um, newsstand or bookstore is they're just horrifically expensive. Um, but I can't help it. Like, I go into an airport, and I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to buy a book. And I just, I walk around for, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, and I find that book that um, I'm going to read on the plane. I, I don't like reading my Kindle on the plane. I, it's just, that's just something for me. If I'm going to be in the air surrounded by all of these people... <laughs> yeah. breathing, breathing their air and, you know, um, 
I just, I want to have my little comfort, and my comfort is a book. So I don't know why, but I feel like with the, the Kindle screen being as bright as it is, and now I have it on that shade screen all the time, so it's less strain on my eyes. Like, I, I never take that off anymore. But I, I mm-hmm. kind of feel like there's this whole, like, page of brightness that's shining on my face that's going to annoy the person next to me who's trying to sleep. And I almost feel guilty reading on a, on a Kindle on a plane as opposed to a novel where I can, there's always enough light on a plane or the overhead light's not that bright. It seems less of an intrusion on the people sitting next to me. And I don't know why, but I'm very conscious of that. Huh. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. But you know that's yeah, that's I, that's yeah. kind of my whole life anyway. I mean, you know, living in an apartment, I'm very uh, conscious of when I use speakers and when I use headphones, which is 98% of the time. Um, I, I really try and think about the people that I affect around them. And on a plane, you just can't leave the house. You can't go into another room. You're stuck with that person, and that's that's just it. Right. No, that's that's very true. And when I'm home, I think I'm the only one in my house. Um, we're ca- we're caregivers, so um, there are um, two other people that that we take care of, and uh, one wears headphones, and the other one is going deaf. So, oh, okay. Um, and and I think for Christmas last year, um, we got a like a fifty inch television with a sound bar, and I'm like. Really? Sound bar? You need a sound bar? You, you're... Okay. So... <laughs> I'm guessing so, that was your husband's request. No, it wasn't. It, um, but but he went with it. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. You know. <laughs> yeah, and, really fought him. Yeah. Right, right, right. Just fought him hard against it. Really fought him hard. Um, so, you know, there's there's no real quiet in the house. But I'm very... Um, aware, like, I really do not want, like, past 10 o'clock, it's like, okay, all sound bars go down. All sounds go down, you know, Um, because I've had neighbors who didn't care, and I don't want to be that neighbor who acts like they're sitting in the middle of, like, you know, country um, back country where there's right. like a mile a mile between us when there's really only like ten inches. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So in that, I'm very aware. But I guess you know I, I totally lost that on planes, probably because like um, I've I've been on planes since I was like four, and so. People are going to do what they're going to do, and I've just had to deal with it. <laughs> so yeah. for me, it's like if I choose to pull out that Kindle, I'll wear my, you know, if I'm listening to a book, you know, and doing the both reading and listening thing, I'll, you know, I'll have my headphones on. I'm, I'm not going to be like, you know, just obnoxious about it, but I, you know, I will put on the Kindle, but... Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think I'm probably overly conscious of it um, to a point where I'm probably minimizing my own experience because I'm afraid I'm going to do something that might bother someone else when they might not even care. Oh, but that's because you're a sweetheart. Oh, well, thank you. I try. 
Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. So I think before we wrap this up, though, and, and I, I appreciate you coming on the, the show. I w- I've been wanting to have you on. And you're one of the few people that I've actually met in person. We finally just met a couple of months ago. And right. what a lot of people may not know about you while they know you as an author, they may not know that you make some incredibly beautiful jewelry. Oh, thank you. Yes, I do. and you're very modest so uh, (laughs) tell us a little bit about uh, what kind I I know that you do a lot of stuff for events but tell us a little bit about what kind of jewelry you make and and how you go about doing that Um, so I usually work with um, wire and semi-precious stones Um, different different beading as well as uh, string beads, but um, gosh, it's it's pretty much just what I see when I go to the store, um, or if I go to a craft fair and they just have little pieces here and there, um, and it just kind of starts like a thought starts with my books. Um, I see the creation in my head and I ask myself if my ability can match what I see in my head. Um, I've not started with the welding, um, the the soldering yet, and that would be fun, but um, I try to get as close as I can without having to put fire to anything. (laughs) Right, Um, yeah. (laughs) So... I like working with color, um, even though if I make anything for me, it's probably either going to be clear or black and white. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, a lot of my ideas come when people do custom orders. I do, I do jewelry, um, I do jewelry, I do earrings, necklaces, bracelets, um, and I will work with wood, and like I said, semi-precious. Um, like rose quartz and things like that. And then I will also work with crystal um, just because it's so shiny. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> it just sparkles so prettily. Um, so, gosh, I, I'm a very simplistic kind of elegant designer. I don't like the big, chunky jewelry and so I do have people that ask every now and then they're like hey are you doing bigger and you know chunkier pieces and I'm like um not quite there uh, because if I don't think that it's beautiful I'm not going to make it well and I think that your your style really seems to be a beauty and elegance and simplicity and I think that that's a seemingly lost art because just like anything else you know if you're paying you know, 15 or $16 for dinner, you better get a big hunk of food because you're paying $16 for it. Not the portion that's healthy or what you should be eating, but something that matches what you're paying for. And I think that we've kind of lost the perception of simplicity and beauty in, in our society on the whole. So I'm glad that I always like when you, when you post a piece that you've created because it's very consistent. You seem to really hold true to that, that I'm just going to make a nice piece and it doesn't have to be something that screams at you to get attention. That, yes, 
it'll just hit the sun or hit the light inside just right and it'll draw the eye and I, I do like doing I like suspension so I like doing um oh gosh um either either pearls or crystals that are on very thin or um invisible wire and so it kind of looks like it's just you've decorated your neck, <laughs> yeah. but you don't see any in between, right? Or something kind of hanging off of your ears and the sun or the, you know, the lights hit maybe the, the crystal and you're like, oh, that's, that's nice, but how is that? Oh, well, I see how, how it's working there and that's intriguing. Right. So, you know, so that, that works there again. I, I like to be intriguing. Um, but lately I've done a lot of things for, for authors, and that's been fun because I do little mini books, and um, I either attach them to keychains or bookmarks, and uh, that works well because that's custom. So, you know, if you're, you're an author and you, you like to either give people, especially around this time, give people a little something of yourself, um, what's more of yourself than what you've written, you know, yeah, so. Yeah, and, and, and the, the other benefit of that, too, is that the more simplistic it is, the more you can wear it with various outfits as opposed to, you know, if, if the piece is gaudy or really bright or really specific or chunky, it really limits what you can wear it with, too. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I guess that was also the way that I grew up because my, my parents would give me things like little like pea rings, like a ring with actually my first letter in it, um, or a, um, like just a gold uh, necklace and, you know, nice thin, um, and it went with, yeah, with everything until I lost it. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and that's going to happen, especially, you know, when you're younger, but... Yeah, I think it's very cool, and I would imagine that being able to, like for me, I can work on a book or I can work on a piece of music, and I, I love that I have that luxury of switching off from one project to another that's completely different. Um, if I'm kind of like losing momentum on one, I can just kind of put that to the side for a minute and jump on something else, of course, unless I'm under contract, if I'm just writing for myself or for a self-release. Uh, but do you find that that it's that you like to jump back and forth between the two, or do you find when you're working on a piece of jewelry, you're thinking about God, I've got to get on this book. I've got you know, I, I got a thousand pieces words I want to write today, and, and I got to finish up this jewelry order first. Or are you able to really just be in the moment of wherever you are? Um, if I didn't procrastinate on either one, <laughs> then I'm I'm usually in the moment. <laughs> but yeah. I oh my god. I made a goal for myself at the beginning of this year that I would uh, write three books, and I did. And so, yeah. then, congratulations! Uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, but it was it was a little bit stressful because I do procrastinate. So um, I noticed that around June, um, May and June, that I just. I had a book that I was telling myself I was going to get out right before my birthday on July 20th. And it, it's, it wasn't a easy book. It was a heavy book. It drew a lot from me. And I was just like, okay, 
but I'm, I'm feeling like writing. Okay, I'm feeling like writing, but there's this really beautiful necklace that I've been thinking about doing, and oh, I, <laughs> I think I might work on it. But if you know that the thing that you have to work on is going to be uh, a, a bigger challenge than you're ready to take on in that moment, it's really easy to find every excuse not to just sit down and start working on it and start plowing through it. It's, it's kind of like you can rip the Band-Aid off or you can pull it off slowly, and, and either one's going to suck, but one of them's going to stop hurting sooner. Well, that is true, and um, I pulled that Band-Aid off one centimeter at a time. <laughs> so by by the time I was done, I'm, I'm I kid you not. I think I cried through um, the last two, three, three chapters of the book. I I just I just cried, and um, I was so emotionally spent that this first week I was like. Anybody got anything they want me to bake? <laughs> right, yeah. You need something therapeutic, yeah. I mean, when, when, yeah, I, when I was working on the end of my novel, um, I knew that the last hundred pages or so were going to be really difficult for me to write. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to be intense for a reader, but for me to write, I knew it was going to be difficult. So I had put together this playlist of music from Lost, and, and, uh, and then I went away for like two weeks. I didn't touch it at all. Because like you in that case, I was not ready to rip that band-aid off. I knew it was going to be tough. I wanted to be done with it. But at the same point, I wasn't ready to actually sit down and go through that act. And I found every excuse in the world not to open that file and start writing again. And then I finally got to the point where I said, I've run out of, I've run out of excuses. I have to do it now. And then, and then, it was, and then I was a right. mess for, for well, the rest of my life. No, yeah. So yeah, I have times where I'm I'm writing and I'm like, man, I really really want to put something together. And then there are times where I'm I have an order, and the creative part is over, and I'm just like duplicating right. something. Yeah. You know? And and so of course that that gets a little monotonous, and I'm like, oh boy, certainly would love to write right now, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, Tracy just. Just go ahead and get it done. So they, you know, back and forth. Sometimes they're both used as therapy and sometimes they're both used as an escape. Um, But what I learned this year was that I can write a lot of words very quickly. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's a good skill. And you've been good because we... We have this little group that we're a part of that's uh, just a handful of us that, that are all uh, friends and, and authors, and, and we post our daily goal in there every day, and of course, I'm the only one that's a composer, so for me, my goals are usually a little bit different than everyone else's, but it's, it's interesting to see some days people are like, I'm going to write 5,000 words today, and it's just you feel a confidence in it, and then there's days where we're like, I'm hoping to get a 1,000 words. I, I don't know if, if it's going to happen, but... You know, but I, it's good exactly. to strive for something, you know, and it's never a limit. Right. It's never like we go, okay, I hit my thousand. I have to stop now because if you're in that zone, you just keep going. But exactly. it's, it's, there are those days where you're like, I just, I just don't know if I have it in me to do today because what I'm coming up on is going to be difficult or I'm not really sure 
if I don't, I'm afraid I'm painting myself into a corner. So I want to kind of back off a little bit and really think this through before I start writing. Um, because it's easy to do that too, especially if you're just kind of changing things from your original idea as you go, you can really paint yourself into a corner. And it's a lot harder to work out of it than it is to just take a step back and make sure you're not stuck. Right. And this last book, um, The Romantic Suspense, The Missing the Gift, was the first, was the first book that I, where I had a first and a second draft. I, I write like I read. I write like I read. I'm a straight pantser. I don't do um, outlines. <laughs> it's just I follow the story where it goes, and um, that's, that's just how I write. And then, you know, I send it to the editor, and they're just like, okay. Um, but I found that once it's down there, if anyone sees it, um, then it's it's cemented. That's it. It's done. Right. But yeah. this was, right. But this was the first book that I allowed myself to to say, okay, whew, this is what I have, and this is the time spot. This is the time limit I have to get this down. And after that, I will have time to fill in the gap and finish, like, and answer some of the questions that I brought up during the really suspenseful time so that people don't, you know, they're, they're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then nothing happens? <laughs> right. Yeah, there, there's nothing worse than being, stu- like, having that little seed in your brain that's waiting for that to materialize in the book, some little thing that the author set up that you just haven't forgotten about, and then it never right. goes anywhere. Like right. I, I, I ran audio at uh, the play Pippin earlier this year, and I'd never seen the play before. And as I'm watching the play unfold for the first time, there's his uh, stepmom and his stepbrother who are plotting against him, and they're the they're the entire antagonist, really. I mean, there's the antagonist of him coming of age, but then there's also the human antagonist, which is his his family, and they're plotting against him. Here's how they're going to knock him out of power and take over. And then they just don't do anything. And by the end of the play, I'm like, well, are they waiting for the for the final bow and they're going to come and stab him? What are they doing? It just went nowhere. But through the whole play, I'm waiting for it because they did such a big deal. I mean, they had their own songs based around it. It was very prominent setup. And then it just didn't go anywhere. And I'm like, I don't get this. You know, so, yeah, yeah. it's it's smart to really pay attention to all those little little nuggets that you drop. Because any one of them could be stuck in a reader's head. Absolutely, because they get stuck in mine. Right. I, I like I like romantic suspense, and when I'm left hanging on any part, I'm sitting there going, it, "It's almost like you have a great day." So say you know it's your birthday, and every, almost everything that you wanted, you get, but at the very last moment. You get like a triple scoop of your favorite ice cream, and before you can get in the second bite, it falls. Right. And that's what you remember. Or somebody <laughs> takes the bowl away and says, Well, you only had five seconds, so should have eaten faster. Right. You know, and, that's, yeah. and that's what you remember in that day. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, Oh, well, it was 
it was a good day, but at the end, <laughs> this is what happened, and this is how it happened. And so you spend like, you know, two minutes explaining how this ruined your absolutely great day. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Tracy, it has just been a joy talking to you, and I'm so excited that, that your new book is out. Uh, everybody, check out Missing the Gift on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. You'll be able to get it on print, and uh, we'll have the links and everything in the show notes. And uh, Tracy, I'm wishing you guys well, you great success with this, and you guys great success with the whole series, because I, I love the concept of it. I love that uh, you know, you're, you're attracting different groups of readers and not really limiting it to just Christian fiction or just romance writers or, you know, it's, it's great to have something that's a little more well-rounded and accessible to a larger group of people. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, come back and chat with us again and uh, good luck on this one and uh, keep making some beautiful jewelry, you know, do a book, do some jewelry, do another chapter, another piece of jewelry. Just keep that machine going. I definitely will. I'm keeping this, this place beautiful one piece at a time. Thank you. We need that. We definitely need that. Will you take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much for having me. Of I've course. had such fun doing this. Me too. Me too. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Now, how do you not just want to give this girl a big hug? She's so warm and friendly and bubbly. She's got such a great sense of humor, but yet she can write some really intense, dark stuff. And uh, if you, even if you're not a uh, Christian fiction fan, I would still recommend checking out at least one of her books. You may find that you just like what she writes, and I would definitely uh, take the time to do that. I'm glad that I did. So thanks for coming on uh, along with me on this journey, and uh, please definitely do some ratings, some reviews of the podcast. Let friends know. I greatly appreciate it. It makes all the difference in keeping this going. Um, I'm not doing this for any other reason than I, I love doing it. So enjoy. Have a great day. Check out that special episode on Saturday. And we'll see you next time on the Haskin Cast podcast.